I enjoy playing the game uh, Guess Who with my children. Have you ever played that game before? You know, you pick a character and, and they pick a character and you try to guess who uh, they, they picked. You know, you say, is that person wearing a hat? Is that person wearing glasses? Is it a female? And, and you try to narrow it down to one person. Well, I want to try a biblical version with you here uh, this morning. And so here's your clues. Uh, we're going to play Guess Who. This person in the New Testament was grieved by sin. Okay, that's your first clue. This person in the New Testament was grieved by sin. The second clue is this person valued preaching. So again, he, he was grieved by sin. Uh, he valued preaching. You kind of get the gist that it's a person. Uh, he's in the New Testament. He's a man. This person saw the need to go to the lost. This individual was evangelistic. So maybe you've got somebody in mind. And the last clue I'm going to give you is that this person was concerned of the plight of others. So who do you think that was? Oh, maybe you're thinking that's the Apostle Paul. Maybe you're thinking that's the Apostle Peter. You know, maybe you're thinking that was Jesus Christ. Well, the answer to it is none of the above. See, maybe the answer is not as obvious to you and I because this person isn't brought up as much. Matter of fact, we don't even know this individual's name. But the answer that I was looking for was the rich man in Luke chapter 16. Now, you might be thinking to yourselves, well, wait a minute. Those characteristics don't associate with the man in Luke, the rich man in Luke chapter 16. That's not how I remember him. Those statements don't make sense. But hopefully by the end of this lesson, you'll notice where I was going with those statements. We're going to examine the amazing story, again, uh, that it's only recorded in the Gospel of Luke. In, in Luke chapter 16, the account of rich man and Lazarus is vital to so many things, especially of our view, our knowledge of what the scriptures teach about death. You know, people always have questions. Will we know one another in the afterlife? Will we know what's going on here on earth? Uh, will we be conscious or will we, will we be soul sleeping? Or will we be uh, ceasing to exist? What will it be like? Where will we be? These are all questions that we ask from time to time. And some of those are answered in Luke chapter 16. Again, this is one of the greatest texts in scripture that explains many of our questions. Now, before we jump into it, you know, I just want to make this disclaimer that I know that there are some who look at Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, and they label it as a parable, you know, an earthly story with heavenly meaning, and that it's not an actual history and not an actual account. But there's a lot of specific aspects of this account that we just don't find in parables, right? Lazarus is named. He's, we are given his name. You don't find that in any other parable. You know, the, the rich man, uh, his name is not given uh, probably because uh, Jesus was trying to conceal his identity, right? People would have known who the rich man was. He would have been influential in that life. And so Jesus doesn't give us that man's name. And a lot of the majority of the parables we read in Scripture, usually the gospel writers tell us Jesus taught in a parable and then they began the parable. But we don't see any of those things here in Luke chapter 16, starting verse 19. And so I believe that Jesus is giving us a real, uh, a real account of real people, of a real situation. And again, Jesus never told a parable that was contrary to facts. You know, uh, parables, again, are stories, are, are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. You know, he never began a parable saying, you know, the moon was made of cheese. Right. But but he always took something that was real, like farming and fishing and contrasted it to things in a spiritual nature. But even if this was a parable, 
and Lazarus and the rich man are hypothetical individuals, still what Jesus has to say in this account still has relevance for you and I in our understanding of what happens you know, after we die in this life. So as we discuss this account this morning, let's, we're going to pay particular attention to the rich man. You know, we've already mentioned some of his godly characters that we've seen already, but the problem was that we find out that these concerns of his, they came eternally too late. And we need to make sure that that's not us. We need to make sure this morning that we are prepared and that is not going to be us like the, like the rich man, that we're never going to have to regret obeying the gospel before it's too late or we'll never have those regrets of telling our friends and family about eternity. And so first, let's notice how these men are contrasted. Look in uh, Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. Jesus says, Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. See, the rich man was wealthy in this life. It says he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen. You know, this is something that only the affluent would have been able to wear. Uh, a historian by the name of Pliny the Elder, uh, he was a government official, but he wrote a lot of things that we still have today. He, he actually talked about uh, the process of uh, you know, getting purple dye back then. It, he said that it took thousands, thousands of snails or mollusks to just get an ounce, an ounce of purple dye. You know, that's how time-intensive and expensive this process was that this man could afford. He, he joyously lived in splendor every day. You know, every meal for him was a feast. But now we have this man, Lazarus, this beggar, and he was the opposite extreme of the rich man. You know, the name Lazarus means God has helped. And that, that's ironic, isn't it? Because no one helped this man in life. Right? If, in that society, if you were poor or you, if you were lame, you know, people pass by you thinking that you must have committed some sin to put you in that position. No one helped you. They just passed by you. Well, he was laid at the gate of the rich man every day. That's indicating to us that this man was not able to walk, Lazarus, and he longed to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the table. You know, he longed for them. There wasn't a guarantee that he would get even a crumb. And he was covered in sores, uh, no doubt the result of disease and filth and neglect. And the dogs, uh, we're told the dogs were coming and licking his sores. This was the only medical attention that this man, Lazarus, could afford were these dogs licking his sores. They were contrasted in life. Now let's see them contrasted in death. Verses 22 and 23, Jesus says, Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. See, at their deaths, their physical deaths, it was likely that Lazarus was just placed in a pauper's grave, right? That there was no funeral, that there was no mourning, that he was just laid there to rest. But now we think about the rich man and imagine his funeral. Imagine the expenses that went into his funeral. You know, people back then would hire mourners, you know, people to come and cry and wail at funerals. He probably had plenty of those. He probably uh, had the, the best rabbis of that time coming and speaking eulogies about his his passing, he was probably buried in this ornate tomb carved out of stone. 
But the position of these two men we read in this account switch from one life to the next. See, Lazarus died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. I remember the psalmist said in Psalm 116, verse 15, that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You know, what a sight it is for God to see his saints die and be carried by these angels into the afterlife. You know, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 calls spirits you know, ministering spirits, or excuse me, he refers to angels as ministering spirits. And so they carry Lazarus' spirit to the realm of the righteous dead. And Abraham is described as, be, or excuse me, and it's described as Abraham's bosom. You know, that's a place of comfort. That evokes uh, images of comfort. Jesus uh, likewise referred to this place once when he was on the cross. Remember, and the repentant uh, thief that was next to, next to him uh, repented. And Jesus said that you will be with me in paradise. You know, Jesus is talking about the same place. Abraham's bosom, paradise, comfort. But the rich man, he lifted up his eyes in Hades, we read. It's interesting. We, are, we get no mention of angels here uh, bringing him to this place. But in Hades, he was in torment. Now, I, I probably should say something before we move on in here is that you know, often we think of uh, when we uh, move from this life to the next, we often think uh, you know, the, the choices are heaven and hell. right? But, but here in the scriptures and elsewhere in the Bible... Uh, we, we see that uh, before those places happen, before we go to those places, which will happen after the judgment day, uh, there's sort of a, a waiting room, if you will. There, there's sort of a, a place where uh, all, the spirits, uh, all the spirits come, and this is Hades. In the Old Testament, it's referred to as Sheol. You know, you'll read about Sheol all the time. That's Hades. Hades in the New Testament is the dwelling place of all of the dead. You know, Jesus even said in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 31, or Peter said about Jesus, uh, that, that God was not going to abandon his soul in Hades. So we know that Jesus was there in Hades for those three days after his death before he was resurrected. Well, the Hadean realm, as we read and as we're going to read further in this account, is separated by two parts. Paradise for the righteous, Lazarus, and then torment for the wicked, for the rich man. Well, how would you describe torment? You know, torment, again, is not hell. Hell comes after the judgment. And we even know that because there are two Greek words that are translated for hell, Gehenna, and torment, Tartarus. These are two different places. But how would you describe torment? You know, the best way that that I learned to describe it would be, you know, thinking about somebody who is charged with murder. Right? You're charged with murder and you go to the county jail and you're sitting there awaiting your sentencing you know, and while you're there, you're still in prison. You're still being punished. You're still guilty. But you've not yet been transferred you know, to federal prison. You've, you've yet to have that final judgment placed down on you. And again, that sentencing is the judgment day. And so we see that from torment, the rich man, he sees Lazarus on this other side of Hades in comfort. And now look at how they're contrasted beyond the grave. Verses 24 through 31. Let's finish this account. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed. So that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. 
And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear him, them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Did you notice the state of mind of the rich man here in those last few verses? You know, he took no notice of Lazarus in the earthly life, but now he's seeking his help. Now he wants Lazarus' help. And so he's shouting across this chasm, send Lazarus. You know, I'm in agony. Have him bring me just a drop of water to cool off my tongue. You know, apparently it was so hot that he was requesting just a tiny drop of water. That's all he wanted. But Abraham reminded the formerly rich man of two things. Number one, that in, his, in life, he had been greatly blessed while Lazarus had suffered. And number two, there was now this great chasm, this great gulf fixed, which separated the two and it couldn't be crossed. You know, when I think of that, uh, you know, I was thinking of the Grand Canyon. And so that's sort of the picture that I had up there on the screen, right? The, the Lazarus on one side of the Grand Canyon and the rich man's on the other. And there's no way for either one to cross, right? Because that's what Abraham says. He says, we can't come to you and you can't come to us. So the former rich man, he changes strategies, doesn't he? He says, okay, well, well I guess my path is set here, but, but I still have family living Back on earth, back in the living, in the flesh. And he remembers that he has five brothers. You know, how bad was this torment that the rich, one, rich man was at? It was so bad that he did not want anyone to join him. And so he begged Abraham to send Lazarus back to teach, to warn them. But Abraham said, no, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And you know, what he's basically saying is he's referring to the scriptures, Right? They have the scriptures to read and to learn from. But then he begged again. But if someone comes back from the dead, certainly, certainly then they will repent. But again, Father Abraham says, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, then they're not going to be persuaded from anyone returning from the dead. And you know what? Abraham was right. You know, Jesus himself ironically raised a man in John chapter 11 named Lazarus. This is a different Lazarus, but he raised a man from the dead named Lazarus who had been in the tomb for four days. And you remember the results of that? They wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to kill Lazarus. They didn't believe. And so we see with the account of the rich man in this account in Luke chapter 16 verses 19 through 31 that the rich man was eternally too late. So what can we learn from this account? That's what we want to spend the rest of our time here this morning. What can we learn from, especially from the rich man? We don't want to be eternally too late when it comes to these certain things. And I've already mentioned them to you at the beginning of the lesson. But number one, being grieved by sin. Again, the rich man found himself in torment. It was because of the choices that he made on earth. But now he is in agony He's grieving over the sins that he committed, uh, not treating others fairly. And this grieving we see of the rich man, it came eternally too late. Are you and I grieved by sin today? 
You know, I'm reminded of, of the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 6, verse 15, and, and chapter 8, verse 12, talking about the Israelite people and how, you know, they couldn't even blush. They didn't even know how to blush. There was great, great atrocities happening if, in front of the people of Israel, and they weren't even blushing at that. You know, they weren't turning their heads from it. They were so scarred, so their conscience seared that uh, these things were okay, that, that they couldn't even blush. And I'm reminded of Ezekiel. Now, Brother Christian brought us a lesson from Ezekiel on Wednesday evening. I'm going to go into Ezekiel as well. In Ezekiel chapter 9, there's a a prophecy, a vision that God gives the prophet Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel chapter 9, he's given, again, this vision of uh, of the people of Israel. And in this vision, God sends these six executioners to the land of Israel. These six executioners, and each one is depicted with a weapon in their hand. And one of them actually has a writing case to his side, a writing utensil. And in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4, it says, The Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst. You see what he said? He said, uh, you know, in this vision, you know, you go and you take that marker, that instrument that you have and any person that you see that groans and sighs over sin, meaning they oppose sin. I want you to mark on their forehead that, you know, they're okay. But we read when you continue on in that uh, chapter in verse five, it says, but to the others, he said, in my hearing, go through the city after him and strike. Do not let your eye have pity and do not spare. Uh, those who did not have the mark, they were told to slay uh, in this vision. Well, by the end of this vision, we're told that Ezekiel was the only person left. He was the only man that received that mark. Ezekiel was the only one who, who sighed and groaned over sin. And again, we need to be people who sigh and groan over sin as well. Uh, now, in the present, before it's eternally too late. Secondly, we can learn from this account that we don't want to be eternally too late to value preaching. Now, listen, I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, me from the pulpit uh, getting up and preaching a lesson like I'm doing this morning. But what I'm talking about is, you know, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. You know, Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two tells us that in times past, you know, God spoke to men in different ways in various ways through prophets and through dreams and visions. But now, today, today he speaks to us through his son, Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul says that, you know, we, you and I, we are earthen vessels. And we contain a message, a special message. Actually, he calls it a treasure. And that, of course, is the gospel of the Lord Jesus. You know, we are earthen vessels. You know, we can shatter, we can break, and we will someday. But we contain that great message. And so... Today, how that message gets translated to others is through you and I. Also notice in Romans chapter 10. I want to read this passage to you as well. In Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 13. Notice Paul says, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Do you notice what Paul said? 
how will they hear without a preacher? You know, you and I have to go out and preach that word uh, to other people to, to l- deliver the gospel message. You know, God no longer works in visions and in signs and in dreams today or through prophets, but he works through his word, which you and I learn and spread to others. And the rich man understood the value of someone preaching a message to his five brothers so they wouldn't end up in torment like him. Right. He said, send Lazarus, send them to go and talk to them, to warn them, to preach to them. Remember in our study in First Peter, we looked at First Peter chapter two, verse nine, and we were studying First Peter in our evening uh, uh, lessons. And First Peter chapter two, verse nine says about Christians, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that word proclaim, you know, we can translate it to preach. All Christians, Peter says, is to proclaim, to preach God's word. We are to proclaim his excellencies. Again, it's not just simply the preacher standing in the pulpit, but all of us must value preaching. We must preach. We must proclaim. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, when he was in Corinth, that he was determined to know nothing about uh, you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, that, that was his purpose when he was with them, was to preach Jesus and, them cruci- and him crucified. And of course, we recall Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that says, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that says that uh, the, the, the gospel saves. There is power in the gospel. Notice again, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. And friends, we do not want to be eternally too late to value preaching and to preach to others. Thirdly, do not be eternally too late when it comes to going to the lost. You know, again, Lazarus had that idea. Sent, or the rich man had the idea. Send Lazarus. Send him back to, uh, from the dead even. Uh, to my brothers. You know, he was being evangelistic in that moment. You know, sometimes we have the attitude that, you know, if people want it, if people want the gospel, they're, they can come and get it, right? We have this beautiful build, building here. You know, we're in this great location in town. People driving by all the time. They can see our, our times on our, our door. They, they can go to our website and see what times we come together. And we have the attitude, again, that, you know, if they want it, they can come and get it. There's no excuse for them not to um, find out about the gospel, to to hear the gospel. But friends, that is not the Great Commission, right? When Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, he said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Again, it's not just about preaching, but, but it's going to them. And so let's not regret that. As the rich man had those regrets in life of not going to his brothers. Let's not regret, you know, going to that door of our neighbor and knocking on it. Let's not regret maybe handing a pamphlet to someone. You know, again, we have all those pamphlets out there in the foyer that are free for you to take. You know, take them, uh, deliver them, put them on uh, someone's door. You know, let's use those things. But again, let's not be eternally too late to go to the lost. And then finally, this morning, don't be eternally too late to be concerned about the plight of others. You know, again, Lazarus, or the rich man said, please don't let my brothers end up here. You know, I graduated from uh, one preaching school, but I, there's another preaching school out in Denver, Colorado, uh, who had this uh, campaign 
uh, for a few years that kind of picked up. Uh, a lot of people knew about it. it they, they would wear these pins on their jackets, and their pins said, Think Souls. And that was a great uh, campaign that they had because it was a memorable little tagline, Think Souls. And it got people to think and beyond the outer man, to think of people's souls. You know, Proverbs 11, verse 30, Solomon said, He who is wise wins souls. We need to be concerned about the plight of other souls as well. Uh, a couple more passages in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, listen to Paul. Listen to how he uh, yearned for the, the, the souls of his uh, Jewish brethren his nation. He said, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul had great sorrow and unceasing grief in his heart. He said, if I could trade my soul for all of theirs, I would. I would be accursed. You know, I would be separated from Christ in, in the, the next life if it was for their sake. You know, Paul had that sort of determination uh, about his brethren. And then in chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, again, he writes, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is, their, is for their salvation. For I testify about them that you have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Again, Paul is mentioning their salvation. That, that he is uh, great sorrow because he knows that they have not turned to Jesus, that they're still following the Jewish faith. He says these people have a zeal for God. They have a zeal for God, but it's not in accordance with knowledge. And they just wouldn't turn to Jesus. You know, some of our best friends and family, uh, they attend churches. Right? Uh, they're religious. They're hardworking. They're faithful. But the churches that they attend, they just don't match up to the churches that Jesus died for. The church that we read about in Scripture, the church that he purchased with his blood. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, I will build my church. Ephesians 4, verse 4, that there is one body, right? There is one church. And yet denominationalism says that there are many bodies out there and that we're all just taking different paths to get to the same place. But again, Jesus did not die for denominations, for man-made churches. I wrote an article in, my, or in the bulletin this morning. I hope you get a chance to read it about our, visit, our family's visit to Old Mulkey uh, Meeting House over in Tompkinsville. And if you've ever been there, maybe you know the story of the place. It's where a church uh, was constructed by uh, the Baptist denomination. And over time, uh, the, this man by the name of John Mulkey started to uh, read the scriptures and he started to come to the realization that the things that they were doing in worship weren't matching up to the scriptures. And so during this period of time in America, there was this thing going on called the Great Awakening or the American Restoration Movement where uh, denominations were starting to renounce the, the teachings of their denominations and they were just simply going back to the Bible. They just wanted to be called Christians. And that was John Mulkey's uh, plea as well. And it was interesting because one Saturday morning there was about 200 in attendance. They were having a meeting and John Mulkey said in front of all of them that, you know, listen, I am um, I'm going back to the scriptures and all my authority. I'm no longer going to follow the teachings of this denomination. And if you want to follow me, come out with me to this door. And 150 of the 200 followed John Mulkey out the door and they eventually established a church uh, in, in that meeting house, the Church of Christ. 
Well, again, uh, what we want to understand this morning from uh, this point is, are we content letting our friends and family continue down that road? Or will one day it be eternally too late uh, when we have to regret that? Well, this morning, I believe that one of the most powerful accounts in all of Scripture is right here in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, the rich man. This man, he was grieved by sin. This man, he valued preaching. He saw the need to go to the loss, and he was concerned by the path of others in this life. He was concerned about their souls. But these realizations, they all came eternally, eternally too late. And we need to learn from him. You know, the Hebrews writer in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says that there is a day that we will all die, and then comes the judgment. You know, our destination at that time will be sealed, right? We're going to be on one side of the chasm in Hades, and we can't go over to the other. I know one preacher who once said, I would rather beg for bread on earth like Lazarus than for beg for water and torment like the rich man. And we don't want to go into eternity having any regrets. Because if we miss heaven on the day of judgment, if we miss heaven, we've missed everything. And so that's our plea this morning is to get ready. Again, learn from the rich man. And this morning, if you have not been baptized into Christ, if you have not put your uh, trust and hope and, and obedience into Jesus Christ, this morning is the time to do that. The, the waters behind us are prepared. Uh, we can assist you and baptize you into the Christ. You can do exactly what they did in the first century to become a Christian. That they heard God's word. That they believed that Jesus was the Son of God. They repented of their sin. They confessed him as Lord before men. And they were baptized for the remission of their sins. And the Lord at that time added him, them to his church. Or this evening, uh, if you're here, if you, were, if you are a Christian but maybe you're struggling... Uh, maybe you need the prayers of this congregation. Maybe there's some encouragement that we can help you with. Please, please let us know before it's eternally too late. Let us know as together we stand and sing.